Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, joining me today. I hope you had a good weekend. It is certainly uh, nice here in the greater Twin Cities area of Minneapolis slash St. Paul. The mercury is climbing. It doesn't feel like uh, the middle of January as we're getting close to uh, that time of year when normally it's sub-zero, but we're getting away with uh, some pretty easy temps, which I'm liking. Um, And I hope you are having uh, similar uh, conditions wherever you are today. It's always nice to look out and see the sun. A little bit of warm on the face never hurts. So I'm going to start off today with, uh, it is Monday as far as I remember, and that is uh, getting things started with my friend Patrick Albanese from the great state of Iowa. Patrick, welcome back to the show. You forgot to mention prestigious. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I will try again. The prestigious yep. uh, town of West Des Moines. Yes, yes. There we go. Uh, it's hard to say one without the other. I am I agree. better than I have uh, any, any right to uh, expect. We're having the similar beautiful weather here, and uh, my dog is constantly, you know, my dog has it in for me. He <laughs> constantly waits for me to get settled anywhere. anywhere. If I, I could try to take him out before going to bed. He says I'm fine. As soon as I put the pillow underneath my head, then he says, now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he plays upstairs, you. I feed him in the morning. I, I, I go to let him out. He's like, no, nope, I'm good. And then he waits till I go all the way down to the basement and begin an activity. He comes down and says, now it'd be good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm telling you this dog would follow me to Minneapolis just to pester me to come back and let him outside <laughs> at an inconvenient time. I, I know he loves me, but I, I have so I always expect that during the show, he'll come down and say, now would be good. You seem to be busy. <laughs> yeah, he's playing you, just so you know. I know. All right, question. Uh, it's now, today is the 11th of January. So how yes. are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? Did you make any, and how are you doing? Uh, still working on them. Okay. Still working. Now, I want to talk you about know, that I... a little bit today. So uh, tell yeah. me about no. what's happening in, in, your, uh, in your world with your resolutions. Well, of course, I, as you know, I like to start you know, with, with something that's relatively simple to accomplish. And when it's a new year, we always, you know, like make, make, stake, make mistakes when writing a check. So um, I've been very carefully trying to write out Year of the Pig. <laughs> instead of okay. the rat. Mm-hmm. And I, I only made one mistake. Um, you know, it's uh, you, for the listener that doesn't know me. Uh, and I know you know me. I do know you. So this won't surprise you at all. I, I, I'm not a big resolution setter. I, I will sometimes look at the first of the year and say, here's a good time to reset, um, you know, some things that you might have kind of gotten lax on. Yeah. But for instance, yeah, I've been going to the gym pretty regularly since my 18th birthday when I was old enough. to, And I actually went before that because my mom worked at a local YMCA. But um so like I, I won't set that. In fact, I will often take the first two weeks of January off from going to the gym so that the new people that have set the resolution to go to the gym can have free reign 
And then in two weeks when I go back, they'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I, I understand the ritual and I, I had done it for many years, but, um, you know, for me, it's like, you're always aware, you're aware, you're aware for 12 months of the things that you need to be doing in your life. And so, you know, it seems to be almost the ultimate procrastination around mid June to say, all right, this next year, when <laughs> my next year's resolution is going to be, you know, to lose some weight. It's like, well, you could start today, right. you know, June it doesn't have to right. be January 1st. You could start. If it's good enough for January 1st, it's good enough for today. Yeah. And, of course, the most uh, common resolutions uh, we've come to understand are uh, things like financial resolutions. I want to maybe pay down a little debt or maybe I want to eat healthier or I want to exercise yes. more and lose weight. Those are the things that seem to crop up. Now, uh, isn't it likely that we are going to not find uh, happiness, pursuing some of those things. Um, and we both read an article that Arthur Brooks wrote, uh, over the last couple of weeks. And it was really about if you want to pursue happiness in, in the new year, you should pursue forgiveness and gratitude. Which first off, that's always going to be great advice. But the other thing is we're pursuing these goals you know, uh, whatever it might be, lose weight, work out, uh, eat better, you know, get get in charge of your finances in the hopes that it'll make us happier. But, you know, we've acquired whatever habits we have that are not working in concert with that goal because we like them. You know, we, we like the sugary food. Uh, you know, somebody brought me something from a, a, a cheese house in Wisconsin, you know. And I uh, go, oh, gosh, you know, I go, but I'm so glad I don't live near the cheese house in Wisconsin. <laughs> I would be eating this every single day. Mm -hmm. This stuff can't be good for you. You know, it comes with a, 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 a discount card to get a free EKG every 60 days. <laughs> so, but uh, um, it's, you know, you're setting a New Year's resolution to stop doing the things that you like doing, mm -hmm. you know. You're saying, well, I'm going to go to the gym instead of laying around watching football games on television. It's like you, you kind of like watching football games on television. And so you're going to give up something that you like for something that you are not sure about that you like in the hopes that it'll make you happier. And I, I see a clash coming. Oh, yeah. A big clash. A big clash. But I love this idea of uh, setting goals for gratitude. And I think because uh, Arthur Brooks had that list. And what did he call that walk? He does a his evening walk after dinner where he uh, starts with five things that he's grateful for. And he just kind of ruminates over that list ad after dinner over his walk each night. And then every week he tries to add two items to the list. And it, at first it might seem like, well, how, how can I possibly find five things to be grateful for? And then, you know, a week later I got to add two to that. My, at the end of the year, I've got a list of, of, you know, a hundred items. It's like, I bet you we all have a hundred things we can be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that you're rehearsing them regularly in your head means the Holy Spirit will call them to your mind as you need to be uh, giving gratitude and thanks for a particular thing. Uh, I don't ever worry on that, uh, that that's not going to be uh, easy to do. But if you don't have a spirit of gratitude in your heart regularly and rehearse it, then they might be hard to think of. They, well, yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for the green tea I'm drinking right now. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know how much I love this? And I boasted about it. And as you were saying that line, I took a sip of the tea and I said, I'm grateful for this green tea. It's not a big thing, 
but I'm just grateful for my green tea. Although, you know, I, I, you know, I write little lunchbox notes that I put on my, my kids' lunches. And it started as kind of a gag like a couple of years ago. I, I just did it one day and they loved it so much that I, you know, I said, well, I'll do it the next day. And I'll just keep this up for as, as long as I can. But, you know, I'm what, how many of these you know, cute little notes do I have in my head? You know, maybe maybe 15 or 20. I can probably mm-hmm. do 15. Or 20. I'm getting close to 300. Wow. And it's 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 like you say, you know, if you were going to do a similar thing with a, a list of things to be grateful for, I, I do think the Holy Spirit will say, oh, well, since you're asking, here's a couple of things. What about this? What about that? Yeah. And you didn't sit down and say, I want to write 300 lunch notes for my kids and have them on file. You get up every day and you write one. So there's a difference. And I think that's one of the first great steps in in having a, a new transforming change in your life is you've got to have a reasonable small step goal. And then all you have to do is pick a time that you do it. The article is talking about, you know, if you want to do push-ups, uh, maybe you say, I need to start with doing one or two. And you pick a time right after breakfast or right before, maybe right before you get in the shower in the morning, and then you do two push-ups and you go, there, I actually did it. So that's a good thing. Oh, you know, Scott Adams, the uh, Dilbert cartoonist, has a a similar philosophy to that. He talks about, he says, when you're in this goal-setting frame of mind, he said, you know, until you accomplish the goal, you're actually operating in in a sense of failure to achieve the goal. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. So let's say you, you had a goal of a hundred push-ups, you know, one day you, you go, you, you get to the point you're doing 65, but you're still in your head a failure. Cause you go, I'm not at a hundred. I'm not at a hundred. Uh, in fact, I, today I, I did some push-ups and I, um, I want, I said, I want to warm up. I want to do 40 and I did 35. Good for you. This is not to brag, by the way, this mm-hmm. is not to brag. Um, and next time I'll try doing them actually on the floor instead of against the wall. I think that will <laughs> add a level of tension that might, might up the game a little bit. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, it's so funny. I hit 35 and I, my first reaction was, ah, I failed. It's like, you failed. What's wrong with 35 pushups? Yeah. So what you did 35. And so he's a big fan of, he says, you have systems and the system might be just like you said, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do pushups every day. Maybe I maybe and I and I maybe I won't hit a, a particular target number, but if I have a system where each day I do the thing, I will develop the habit of the thing, and then eventually you'll just find that these goals kind of go by their wayside, or maybe you never achieve them, but you just develop this really good system, and you find out that you never needed to do a hundred pushups, that you are a perfectly healthy mm-hmm. looking, a functioning person doing twenty five pushups a day. Yeah, you know. So some of the habits that Brooks talked about in this article, which I enjoyed, I think you did too, was that you need to strengthen your willpower, you know, by reinforcing the belief that you really can do this. You you can do the two push-ups right before breakfast or right before you get in the shower. And so then you've got this ability to reward yourself for the ongoing success and just to avoid situations of, of temptation as well. Uh, saying, mm-hmm. I don't have time this morning for my two push-ups. And you go, well, no, you can find time. And then try to engage in, in positive uh, thinking. You know, it's just I envision this being something I can successfully do. And he seemed to think that that was, uh, uh, you know, in some, uh, the key to uh, to very positive motivation is to have those four things in place. I think those are great ideas. And, you know, if you can convince yourself that you don't have time to do two push-ups, 
I think you can convince yourself of almost anything. Oh, right. I mean, I understand that we are, you know, we're impatient people. You know, we, we uh, somebody one day decided, gosh, it takes three minutes to make a bowl of oatmeal. We've got to speed this up. We don't have a whole day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they had to get that down to a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, now, now yeah. I can finally accomplish some things in life because I got those extra two minutes. So I, I understand that, you know, we're funny that way, but, um, I have one of those um, Sonicare toothbrushes, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I used to they, – they run for two minutes. You're supposed to brush your teeth for two minutes, and until you've gotten one of these toothbrushes that will run for two minutes till it shuts off, you'll say to yourself, I always thought I was brushing my teeth for two minutes. It turns out I was brushing my teeth for about 24 seconds. And you say, well, I just developed this habit. I got this little tool that said, here's the two minutes. We'll turn off when we're done. Mm-hmm. You just keep brushing until you're done. And you're not going to believe this. My my dental hygiene, my dental health went through the roof just by following a very simple thing. It's like it's two minutes of your day. But I was short-circuiting myself because I wasn't holding myself accountable for it. In yeah, a way. interesting. So I got a tool that held me accountable. Yeah. So new behaviors that are small and manageable. When we come back, we'll discuss, discuss that with Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, the prestigious city of West Des Moines. Be right back. a brain I could I could while away the hours conferring with the flowers consulting with the rain and my head I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. We're back with Patrick Albanese as we get our week started. Happy Monday to you. Uh, Again, hope your weekend was good. It's always nice to start a little bit on the lighter side, even when it comes to things as simple as Small goals. I think small goals are a good uh, thing to focus on as you maybe are thinking, how am I going to make some good positive changes in my life this year? If you haven't made any uh, directions or any uh, little goals in your life, it's only January 11th, so there's still plenty of time to get on track. And I think small manageable goals are the way to do it. Now, Patrick, uh, I think people, when they go in and they make uh, resolutions, I don't know if if they weigh the cost uh, of doing so. I mean, some people say, well, I really want to change the way I eat, but then they realize that they're missing meals with family and that cost uh, is too big. So they end up saying, uh, enough, I can't keep up with these resolutions. So it's important whenever you make uh, resolutions or goals that you understand what the cost is. Yeah. And um, there's also, you, you know, if you are setting these goals, you are going to have to maybe make some changes. So, um uh, the other day, I was out and about, and my wife sends me a text. Uh, it was her birthday. So uh, she said, could you pick up a turtle pie? And I said, sure. Now, I had to go to three grocery stores to find a turtle pie, <laughs> but I found the turtle pie. And so we had a, a, a nice dinner, and then we had turtle pie. And I said, you know, normally I shouldn't eat something like this, but uh, it's her birthday. I can eat a slice of turtle pie. And now I've had turtle pie almost every day since her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beginning to look a little bit like a turtle. In yeah. there. I know. But the, the thing is, it, um, I, I used to have a very simple rule. If, if it's not in the house, I won't eat it. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I, again, when I was a kid, I worked in a grocery store and I learned the secret to grocery store navigation is to shop the perimeter. It was always shop the perimeter. That's where the fresh food is because the refrigerated sections, they're usually backed up to the back of the house, so to speak, so they can stock milk and the dairy products from behind. That's where the fresh stuff is. And the closer you get to shopping in the center, you're either buying paper goods or you're buying processed stuff. And so I made that sort of just shop the perimeter mm -hmm. and you, you won't make mistakes. Um, and that was a very simple adjustment uh, for me to make. Then they, they figured it out and they put the frozen food aisle right next to the milk. So specifically the ice cream section. Um, but it is, it's, I think a small goal where you say, how about I, I was talking to a friend, you know, he, he wanted to cut out sugar. I said, well, why don't you start with just say sodas, start with sodas. Don't say cut out all sugar. How about you want to eliminate, do you think you drink too many sodas? Start cutting back on the sodas little by little and just, you know, kind of incrementally work your way toward, um, I, I think, when, when was the last time you had a soda pop? Uh, 1990. I gave it up New Year's Eve in 1990. Yeah. So, so you, that was your last resolution, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I gave up soda pop. Um, I said, no, I'm not going to drink pop anymore. And that was 1990. And so now you, so what you could technically say is you have an unbroken record of successfully carrying out your <laughs> resolutions for 30 years. Yes. Yeah. Safe to say. <laughs> Safe to say. But, um, I gave it up uh, probably a similar time. Maybe, uh, I gave it up in high school once and then uh, I gave it up again in my twenties and that was the, the end of it. And what do you think it took you three weeks before you said, I, I don't even miss it anymore. I'd. Probably, kind of forgotten what it tastes like. Probably less than that because my resolve yeah. was to just give it up. I didn't think it was going to be healthy for me going forward. So I, I saw a greater good in just not putting all those chemicals in my body and sugar. Yeah. When I was in high school, I would uh, get up uh, at home, go to school, and hit the cafeteria and have a donut <laughs> and a root beer before my first class. Yeah. Which I slept through. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I was 16 at the time. And then I worked in a grocery store and I would just drink sodas all through my shift. And so one day I said, I'm going to count my, my soda intake. It was eight glasses of soda. Oh, boy. And so I think I was 16 or 17. I said, this can't be good for me. And, you know, the science wasn't necessarily completely out on that yet. And so I just quit. Uh, the donuts, by the way, <laughs> having a little bit harder time <laughs> getting mm -hmm. rid of the donuts. But uh, yeah, it was. I said it. It wasn't hard, uh, but that might be big for some people. So I would say start with something. If you if you think sodas is you're taking in too many, cut it in half. Yeah, right. Only as a treat. Yeah. So as we think about resolutions that will bring happiness, uh, because some of this some of these changes will improve your mood probably and and help a little, but. Happiness will come uh, really when you are forgiving people and showing gratitude. And uh, Brooks went on to say in this article that, you know, in this very difficult time of our history, you know, with the pandemic to the political contempt, there's just so much potential for bitterness in our lives. So all you have to do is open up social media and you'll see pretty much nonstop uh, Olympic level grudge matches. So, um, there, yeah. you know, he, he was talking about after the 2016 presidential election, the stat was that about 44% of people were estranged from at least one relative 
and 17% from someone in their immediate family. So, I mean, there is a, a big need to show love and, and forgiveness, and then also just to hold on to that forgiveness. Because he said forgiveness will increase, you know, your hope and self-esteem and it'll lower your anxiety and depression. Well, you know, it's so true. And uh, I think I sent you this the other day, just kind of this thought that had popped into my head about that, that, you know, if you're, um, you know, uh, eliminating friends and, uh, you know, blowing up family relationships over politics, maybe politics isn't the problem. You know, I'm not saying that the problem is you, but the problem is maybe you shouldn't have politics dictate to you who your friends and family can be. Yeah, good point. Because it's, it's, it's you know, I think the problem is something, you know, bigger. And I, I, I've seen that wedge that people have. I, I love this idea of forgiveness. And it's funny, I was having a conversation with my wife and her brother the other day. And we had noticed that there was some mutual friends that were, were uh, particularly vocal on some of the social media. And we said, you know, they almost have an enemies list. So I asked them informally, I said, do you have an enemies list? Do you have people on your enemies list? Because if you do, now is the time to start forgiving them. Which is, of course, it's very anti how we think we should be. It's like, wouldn't forgive them? What are you talking about? Do you have any idea what they did? It's like, start with the enemies list. Mm -hmm. If you have one, there's somebody who, you know, let's say you don't have an enemies list, but somebody said, okay, let's pretend you have one. Is there a name that you might want to put on it? Start there. That's somebody you have to, you may, you may never speak to them again, but you might want to get to forgiving them so that you don't hold that hardness in your heart. It can't be good for you. And it will definitely get in the way of your happiness if you're holding that. So justified or not, you got to let that one go. Mm -hmm. How's your enemies list? Um, I really don't have one. You know, I, who are my enemies? I don't have any enemies as far as I know. No. As far as, as, far no, as I know. They don't yeah. make themselves known to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so, I mean, everyone that you meet is uh, in need of a savior. And if they don't know Christ, uh, they're an enemy of the cross. And I want to build a bridge to that person to show them the love of Jesus. So who would you have, who would be an enemy? Nobody. Well, I, I think, I think, you know, Jesus came and died for people while they were his enemies. So, uh, it's... but he didn't have an enemies list. And I think there were a lot of people around him that said, come on, mm -hmm. buddy, look, look at these people, look what they're doing to you. Yeah. You look Forgive at, them, Father? Yeah. You, you look at what bitterness yeah. will do regarding your enemies list. Just read the book of Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Patrick, it's um, always good to get things started on a Monday, and I'm uh, glad to talk goals, and I think it's just a good reminder if it's wonderful to do little things like reduce some debt or uh, lose a few pounds or exercise some more or do all that, maybe try to get to sleep a little bit earlier. But it's uh, even more meaningful to have gratitude in your heart and forgive people that you need to reach out and forgive and hold that forgiveness because that's what will help you bring some real happiness in 2021. Thanks for the I time agree. today. By the way, I think those two things will help you achieve the others. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. All right. <laughs> Pat Patrick Albanese has been my guest. We'll take a little break, and there's going to be lots more when we come back. Monday Afternoon Mix is next with David Miles. Be right back.
Welcome back. It is now time for the Monday Afternoon Mix with Pastor David Miles. One of the things that we know for sure as believers is Scripture is inerrant. The inerrancy of Scripture is really one of the great pillars of our Christian faith. And our, as Christians, we our goal is to approach the Holy uh, Scripture reverently, prayerfully. And then when we find something that we don't understand, we we want to dig deeper, pray harder, study more. And if that answer is not, if it's still eluding us, we should just humbly acknowledge that there's going to be limitations in face of in the face of God's perfect word. So when I go to study God's word, I always love having David here because you love God's word. Oh yeah. To thoroughly enjoy it and and, and as you're talking thinking of you know, Second Timothy, that so rightfully says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yeah, lacking nothing. Lacking Pastor, nothing. Pastor David Miles is over at New Hope Church in New Hope, Minnesota, and he's also an adjunct professor right here at the University of Northwestern. So Yeah, and wanna... classes start tomorrow. Really? For students, yes. So you've got prep to do tonight, huh? Uh, done. So <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> well, teaching a course, a timely course, yeah. that I teach that's one of, for required for all our students called Christianity and Culture, helping the church and looking at how the church has responded to culture um, over the years and and then just being a witness for Christ and the many issues that we see today of preparing our students to be leaders uh, today and in the next generation. So, how much of that is topical stuff? How much is topical? Yeah. How so? The way the culture has affected the church in your class. Do you discuss um, that much? So, you know, we get into conversations about like the cultural mandate that God gave in uh, f- in Genesis chapter one. You know, go be fruitful, bless, multiply, fill the earth, rule, subdue it, and things like that. So we get into that conversation and the idea that it's still alive. How are we supposed to use our life? and our gifting to honor the Lord um, and that you're not just an accountant, you Mm -hmm. know, you're not just a violinist, you know, you're not just a plumber, you know, you're a witness for Jesus uh, wherever you go. And so then we jump into things like we discuss individualism because, you know, we have a a highly individualized society. So, you know, things like um, iPhone, iPad, Mm -hmm. iMac, Mm -hmm. I'll start with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's one of the things that can be really hard is that our, our society um, constantly, you know, screams out to say, you know, it's about you. It's about you, the individual. And it that's actually something that's fairly new, you know. I would um, agree. It's really only been in the, you know, last 300 some odd years that there's been such a strong focus on individualism and stuff that came out of the period of time with the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and the Reformation. And with the Reformation, you know, the church actually gave up the management of society, turned inward, focused on more like personal piety and holiness um, and the like. And, And so some ways that's some of the even kickback of things with culture, um, 
And then, you know, we saw that kind of abdicating of culture uh, in the 1800s. You know, again, slavery, civil war kind of abdicated that. And then after the Scopes trial uh, in the early 1920s, when the church, you know, really felt the the weight, we kind of went in and became more fundamental and and went to um, becoming neo-evangelicals and evangelicals. And so actually, Bill, that's in some ways when even theology began to switch because, you know, used, the church used to be more post-millennial. You know, they were thinking we can bring about change and all those different things. But then after the Civil War and then kind of what was called the lost cause theology of the South, it was kind of a, you know, a made up way of saying, hey, you know, the South lost the war. So how can we kind of couch this in noble terms? And these are really, you know, heroes and stuff. And the perfect society was that and just if people would have been better. And so and then it went to like, nope, the world's kind of going to hell. It's really bad. And started to switch more towards being primo and that the world's going to continue to kind of get bad until Christ returns. And so that was kind of an interesting, you know, shift in things. And so the church has been made powerfully to be salt and light, to impact the culture with the gospel. And we saw that with a group of people that would never get hired anywhere who transformed the Roman world uh, in the first 300 years of mm-hmm. the church's existence. And God can still do that in and through his church today. David, safe to say that when you focus on yourself, you will have a lot of suffering. Because yeah. you'll bring it on. You'll bring it on yourself. You know, even when you talk about individualism, and I think, well, let's dispel the the notion that people might be thinking, whatever their career is, that they would use the words, I'm just a, before they share what it is they do. Yeah. I mean, like, so much has been tied up in our identity by what we, you know, do. Because sometimes, like, even when people meet, eventually what's what's one of the questions that ends up getting asked? What do you do for a living? Yeah. That's almost the first. Mm -hmm. Not who you are, it's what do you do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes I can't remember... um, it may have been Eugene Peterson or it might have been Dr. Crawford Loritz who was talking about this. Dr. Crawford Loritz, who was with Crusade and, and uh, is a senior pastor down in Roswell, he's on a number of stations. Um, I think, I think we him. might carry him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he told a, a group of leaders that one of the important things for leadership is slaying the dragon of significance. You know, and I that, like that. And that when people would meet, they would say, hey, what do you do? Because it's like, when they hear something, then they're they're thinking in themselves like some sort of hierarchical pecking order. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they want to know where they fit in, right? Yeah, and so somehow the world has convinced us um, that our identity is in that. And Bill, with this shift to individualism, kind of with that urbanization that happened in Great Britain, and that made its way over to the United States, and and that's one of the things that you know we often talk um, sometimes about slavery from a moral part without looking at it from an economic part as well, because, you know, Great Britain was urbanizing ahead. And so, you know, this country that's newly liberated was trying to get, be an economic superpower. And so, so with that, you had a number of people who lived in rural areas and then they went to the cities. And whereas they would have grown up around their dads, you know, men, they then left an environment where it was a dog-eat-dog world, right. and then they were left to say, like, what's your identity as a man? Well, based on whatever they're marketing and saying, you know, a man is this. And mm-hmm. so, like, so, Bill, if you don't drive 
a BMW, you don't drive the ultimate vehicle, and you're not the ultimate man, you know? And it's like, no. And so there's a lot of stuff that began to be marketed at the individual to give a sense that their identity is in things in the world. And that's why true biblical Christianity is such an affront to the world system, because God says it's not based upon your position or the things that you have. Uh, it's placed, It's based upon your relationship with me in humility, in poorness of spirit, you know, so... It is so interesting. We have to limit the amount of noise that we take into our heads. Even when it comes, I was talking about this with my last guest about resolutions, and um, it seems that pretty consistently from the the uh, mid-1960s, there has been, uh, in terms of cigarette manufacturers, they increased their advertising in January and February to try to help people realize that they can't stop. Really? Yeah. They were trying to short-circuit their resolutions. Um, And it's really not limited to big tobacco companies. Uh, Whenever there is an effort to, you know, have any kind of um, self-improvement, there's always somebody out trying to sabotage who has something to sell you or something to convince you of otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing that's so so kind of like insidious uh, about the enemy of our soul uh, is this, is that there's this constant, you know, you need to have that. you got to have it. You, you must have it. You know, it's not that bad. No one will know. You just need to do it. And then you do it, and the first thing that comes out is, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> oh, man, what kind of person are you? Yeah. You know, and the reality is that God knows knows us and knows our heart. You know, he knows that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and the mind, you know, Jeremiah seventeen six, And being that God knows the heart, he's able to cleanse and to forgive uh, in ways, you know. Um, and so if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so those are some of the things. So we get into conversations. We talk about, you know, uh, individualism. We talk about cultural competency. The world is changing. By 2043, if not sooner, there will no longer be a dominant culture group in this country. And so how will we be the witness for Christ? How will we live out Acts chapter 6, that when you read of the people that began to wait on tables, it was this diverse group of Hellenized uh, Greek people. When you get to Acts chapter 11, and you have the people go to Antioch, and you have people from North Africa and and Cyprus and uh, Greek-speaking Gentiles and Jews, and they come together, and that's the first place that they're called Christians. You know, so, so we're helping you know our students understand the world that they live in to be witnesses for Jesus. So, mm-hmm. something you said earlier, David, about just back when we had more of an agrarian society, and and young men were working alongside their fathers all day long, and then they left the the farm and they went into the cities, into in the industrial revolution, and all of a sudden they had to establish their identity and and they lost the presence of their father alongside of them right yeah they did and um you know one of the things is then you can find yourself tied into so many different things and egged on i remember someone once joked that some guys actually would would probably wouldn't have gotten in certain fights that they got into 
if it wasn't for their friends egging them on. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. person accidentally bumped into the person's like, oh, you're not going to let them get away with that, are you? And yeah. Becomes, You're not going to take that, are you? Yes. Yeah, and right. So, so it's actually funny. My son was was leaving this morning to go to work uh, at Chick Fil A, and and was and was chatting with him. And I was telling him about uh, one of my mentors, who's just a neat, godly, godly man, um, up in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, neat brother who loves Jesus, who's just been a powerful impact in my alma mater, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, a couple named Howie and Ann Dahl. Um, and, but I remember asking, you know. Howie, some stuff about things, and he said he would read a proverb, you know, every day. And there's like 31 proverbs, you know, and that that taught him more about people and business and how mm-hmm. to interact with people. And so yeah. I was actually sharing that with my son this morning because my son knows this dear family. There have been prayer intercessors for our family for years and just, you know, encouraging him as he's looking at business and stuff and saying, you know, this is one of the things that was shared. So looking at Proverbs helps you to know and how to understand and work with people. And you're able to see the fool and you can see the uh, don't go down this path. And that wisdom, you know, wisdom is realizing, oh, that person drove in the ditch. I don't need to drive in the ditch too, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and take that moment of mercy. So. All right, well, we'll come back with uh, Pastor David Miles, the Monday afternoon mix, and we're going to return with a passage out of Matthew 3. I want to ask you, David, about Matthew 3.17. A voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Be right back. So I want to mention uh, the passage that we talked about before we went to break. We were talking about uh, men leaving their father's side and trying to go out and establish their identity and all that. And in Matthew three seventeen, it says, A voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And when I think of that message, uh, I think that's something every young man really benefits hearing from their earthly father. You're my boy. I love you. I'm proud of you. Yeah. I think you go out into the world in strength if you hear that. Well, one of the things that's super important about that passage and the following passage is this. I mean, like, Jesus was the son of God. I mean, like, fully God, you know, fully man. Um, And it's like, and yet God still said those. Now, he also said it so that those around could hear it, but he also said it to his son. And so there's three things that happens in that passage. And, you know, wanting to even just read from the NAIV version. This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. First of all, when he says, you know, this is my son, it starts with the issue of his identity, you know? So 
You Are My Son settles the question of identity. It was unearned. Mm-hmm. The title son's on, on, you know, so my son's DJ Jackson and Jaden, my daughter Taylor, they they are. They, they didn't <laughs> earn those titles. Mm-hmm. They, they are. And then also when it says whom I love, it settled the question of security. You know, and it's like if God was omniscient, why did he need to hear that? But he did, and God put it in his word. And then lastly, with you, I'm well pleased. It settled the question of value. Because if Jesus would have measured his value in anything other than the inherent value that he had for his father, it would have been B-A-D, bad, Mm -hmm. very bad, you know. And you see this then cross over as you step into chapter 4, because chapter 4, it says that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He was, the tempter came to him. And the first thing he says is, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If, third conditional clause, he's, he's saying it like, because we know you are, then you should do this. But notice, if you're the son of God, the very first place that the devil tempted Jesus was, his, was in his identity. Mm. And he tempts him in three ways. First of all, if you're the son of God, turn these loaves into bread. He tempts him in the area of personal comfort. Mm-hmm. It's been 40 days, 40 nights, Bill. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame him. He's hungry. Yeah. And I mean, there were no, there's not an Aldi out there. No. I, mean, I love Aldi. You know, no Cub, no High V. Mm-hmm. Give props to all of them and all the mom and pop shops because my wife's parents used to have a super value store <laughs> in Cullen, North Dakota. So, but there's just, there's no food. And yeah. it was 40 days and 40 nights. So he's like, dude, turn, turn, you know, turn these stones into loaves and he you know gives the gives the word and says uh-uh you know man does not live by word uh you know by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god then it goes on to verse eight and he takes him to the top of the temple and sets him up on there and he says hey throw yourself off of this now this this temple is 450 feet above the kidron valley so in essence, for my one daughter who, who's been talking her mom into watching Marvel movies, he was saying, Jesus, do your best Iron Man. Jump off the temple, come floating down, fulfill the, t- the, the prophecy of Malachi 3.1 on your appearance, and everyone will say, ah, Jesus is so cool. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, don't tempt the devil. By the way, that passage also says that the devil will, will quote and pretend to know scripture. And then the last one is he takes Jesus and shows them all the kingdoms of the world, And he says, if you would bow down and worship me, all of these things I will give you. And so he he tempts him first with personal comfort, then pride, and here with power and possession. Mm -hmm. And the question that we all have to ask ourselves, what are the all of these that the devil tempts you with to abandon? Because listen, Jesus could have took any one of those except for one thing. The devil was calling him not to go to Calvary. And that would have been a world of mess for us. And I mean, like, you know, we see the impact because had Jesus not found his inherent value and identity in the father, he could have bit at any one of those. And we're seeing, I'm like, we see it every day. We're seeing it very much in our home, in our capital uh, right now. The effects of when people don't have someone who's affirmed the identity of who they are and they continue, as you were saying at the break, Bill, you said you knew of people that they, guys who spent their entire life chasing after every, you know, treasure and thing, trying to prove to their dad, to try to get yeah. their dad's acceptance. They never heard from their dad that their dad was proud of them. So yeah. they kept chasing it, hoping one day. Right. And there's a, there's a number of guys, and, and, I, and I can say in my life, you know, I've had the, the, the privilege of meeting homeless people um, and, 
And I've met people who were billionaires on paper. And at the end of the day, for each of them, it's still, do you know Jesus? And, and have met some really, you know, accomplished people. But they, I'll never forget one guy, 46-year-old, we're sitting, on, we're sitting in, uh, in Xenia, Ohio, on the deck, grilling steaks. And I remember this man, Charles, he looked at me and he said, David, he goes, I've never heard my father tell me he loves me. Wow. Never. He goes, my mom would come and say, you know, Charles, your dad loves you. But there's something about Mm -hmm. like a Snickers bar. Sometimes it's better not hearing about (laughs) it from someone else. It's better to sink your own teeth into Mm -hmm. it. But even more so than that. And like we're seeing, like we've seen before, like we're seeing unfold um, recently, uh, what we're seeing unfold in our capital is the effect of when our identity is in anything of this world outside. And none of the stuff here is going to last. Only Christ lasts. And so that, that's, that's the, the message. And, and what happens is, as we see, because we see, you know, you're talking about the, the class I'm teaching, because we see through culture, we see through Christian, you know, Christianity's impact in positive ways. But we also see, because we later on get into social order, and we see how, uh, as Jamar Tisby in his book, The Color of Compromise, sees how the church was complicit in slavery and racism and the degradation of other image bearers. And that's because our identity wasn't properly right rooted in who God made us and made us as the body of Christ to be. So sometimes when we're not there, the ramifications of our decisions and of our life um, is profound. And... Um, Ed Stetzer, who's a guest on the show, actually Ed, Ed has done a show. Um, he just has a, an article that I read um, just a few minutes ago that someone had sent to me um, in U.S. Today. And it's just talking currently about just, you know, a reckoning for the evangelical church in light of our current culture and decisions and things like that. And so Ed's with uh, Wheaton College and the Billy Graham Center. Um, but no matter what's going on, the call to go back, wherever you're at today, whatever's going on in your life right now, every single moment like right now is a moment, like Bill says this all the time, Second uh, Corinthians 6-2, that now is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. Because if you're driving right now and you're like, you know, <laughs> I've never heard that from my dad. And you might be a gal saying, I've never heard that from my dad. And I've been living this really wild, you know, tore up from the floor up thing. Is, is it all done? No. God's grace is infinitely available to you at this mm-hmm. very moment. And he, he looks down and wants to say to you, you're my son. You're my daughter. I sent Jesus to die for you. Turn to me. Receive my gift. You can't earn it. You cannot earn this. And it's such a rich gift that it wasn't silver, it wasn't gold, it wasn't three-way splits of Tesla stock. It was the priceless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed on your behalf. I'm comfortable with a pause right now. There we go. Well said. Yeah. It's so true. Everything you said is spot-on true, and there's probably someone driving right now or sitting at home listening that might have tears in their eyes because you just said maybe your mom or dad or your dad didn't say, I love you. And they have never heard that. And maybe they're um, disenfranchised from their dad right now or their dad has passed and that, that opportunity won't exist. 
the power of what Jesus is offering right now uh, will, I promise, wash away a lot of that hurt. Yeah. And I mean, come. Come just as you are, you know, um, soft. And, and, and Bill, we have to be careful as churches because I've heard unbelieving people say, you know, I, I want to go to church, but, you know, I, I need to get cleaned up. You know, I need to do. And it's like, actually, you no, know, the gospel is, you now you're, we're all jacked up. You know, <laughs> yeah, and and just to come as we are, um, and that we would continue, and and maybe that's the one thing that's neat about 2020, is that so many things fell apart that we put our hope and trust in, so many different things, you know, and in the end, only Jesus is eternal and a firm foundation that never fails. Mm-hmm. David, I always enjoy the Monday afternoon mix. Thank you so much once again. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. No problem. Happy to be here. Yeah. Listen to that voice. I know. That's, seriously. That's some pipes. That is some seriously, pipes. Seriously, I, I, I aspire to have those pipes one yeah, day. I, I, he does have some serious pipes. Oh, yeah. He does. Can we get him to sing? I don't think he sings. Yeah, I think he doesn't sing, do you? I don't know if we have enough time left. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that look, excuse. Look how, <laughs> look how smooth he is. He just brought in the music to I know. sing. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I'm yeah. not singing. Oh, I got control of the keyboard. All right. <laughs> Coming up next Monday, Ryan will be singing. Uh, Amen, yes. Yeah, he just turned nine sh- shades of red. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Uh, Timothy Jeffron will be joining the show. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with him. He's got uh, a brand new uh, book out about what we can expect from God now. Seven spiritual truths for trusting God in troubled times. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.